Thank you, Alan and the worship team. Let's say thank you to the worship team this morning. Ah, so grateful to go to a church that has such great worship teams. Good morning. We are continuing our series on the king's economy today, and the subject is Sabbath, which brings up lots of different connotations for different people. Just a couple of weeks ago, you know, during this season of COVID, over the last 18 months or so, I've heard a lot of people say that life in COVID is a lot like living inside the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, where every day is kind of the same thing. And when we couldn't go to church on Sunday, we couldn't get out and go anywhere, when it's just like every day, it's the same thing. I get it, I felt that way too. So just a couple of weeks ago, I got this harebrained idea as the world starts to open up again. And I went on the great American road trip. One week, seven days, 3,000 miles, 50 hours behind the wheel. I listened to a 15-hour audio commentary on the book of Leviticus. Some of you are saying, remind me never to go on a road trip with Vanderwell. <laughs> I had a Mexican with a Pentecostal poet who is spending his summer driving, driving the Amish around. How cool is that? I went down the wrong way on a one-way street in Logansport, Indiana. I stopped at the old country bakery in Logansport and discovered that the old country was Mexico. And I bought a cookie from a little Mexican lady that didn't speak English. And you could buy figurines of the Pope, four for a dollar. <laughs> I talked with a woman named Kate, who was actually on stage singing with Luciano Pavarotti. When he bowed and started to exit the stage and slipped on the flowers and took a header into the stage. How often does that happen? I went to Richmond, Virginia. I had dinner with a professional Santa Claus. I went to the US Civil War Museum, and I learned, did you know this? That after the Civil War ended, there were between 10 and 20,000 citizens of the Confederate States of America that emigrated to Brazil and created their own Confederate colony. Do you know that? And to this day, the descendants are called the Confederados. Who knew? I had breakfast with my longest tenured friend. We've been friends since I was three and he was five. I mean, this is going back ways. We played big gym campers and stretch Armstrong. Does anybody remember those? Google it, young people. Yeah, I was best man at his wedding when I was a sophomore in high school. And you're going, oh, there's a story there. Yes, there is, but you're not going to get to hear it today. I went to a Columbia, South Carolina Fireflies baseball game with my daughter and her husband. I cried with a member of our team at work who has been with us for 20 years and is leaving us to follow where God is calling her. I sat 
in silence for hours. No radio, no podcasts, no commentary on Leviticus. And I can tell you that I drove in home after seven days and my body was a little stiff from 50 hours of driving, but my soul was full. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this whole idea of Sabbath has been so contentious for so long. It was contentious when you walked this earth. It was used as a weapon against you and you struggled to help your followers understand it. I'm afraid, Lord, we're still struggling with it, some of us. So just open the eyes of our heart to hear your words, to feel your spirit, and to understand why you wove Sabbath into creation. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. So I always tell the teaching team as we're talking about preaching that you should always consider your audience. Think about who's gonna be listening to you. And as I approach the subject of Sabbath, I recognize that in this room, there's probably very diverse experiences with the concept of Sabbath. Now I was raised Methodist. And for the Methodist church where I was raised, Sabbath was just sort of an academic Bible trivia question. Really wasn't talked about in terms of doing anything about the Sabbath in real terms. And then about 30 years ago, I took a position of pastor of a friend's church not far from here in Linville, Iowa. It was a friend's church, it was a Quaker church. And you're kind of going, how did a Methodist-born, Baptist-trained guy become a pastor of a Quaker church? That's a great question. You see, it really wasn't Quaker anymore at that point. There was only about 10% of the congregation that, that were Quakers. Most of the people in the church were Reformed and Christian Reformed folks from Sully who married in Linville and they got their denominational green card and were part of the Quaker church, but they weren't Quaker. They're no longer Reformed. And so they're like going, well, Vanderbilt isn't Quaker or Reformed, so you're good. So I got to be pastor of the church. And as I kind of began meeting and having coffee time with my congregation, I began to hear the horror stories of growing up in Sabbath hell, of sitting in a living room virtually tied to a chair where you could do nothing for hours, listening to the pendulum clock. I heard stories of the hair splitting between what was work and what wasn't work. And it just so happened when I joined the pastoral alliance from the region, I was like the young 
Quaker, not Quaker, and all the other old Calvinist dudes. And it just so happened Casey's was thinking about opening on Sunday. Oh boy, did I get a lesson then. See, and I began to realize it's like this Sabbath thing is still very, taken very seriously, and it creates contention for a lot of people, even within families and communities and churches. So I understand, I get it. And that's why today I want to try and find a point of tension between, between word and spirit. Like, Jim, do we got the core value slide? Kevin's been talking about our core values of identity and belonging and purpose and intimacy. Now, if you'll notice in the middle of the diagram there, uh, around the ends policy is word and spirit. And Kevin always tells us, hey, if you're all word, you dry up. If you're all spirit, you burn up. And if we're word and spirit together, we find the tension in the two, then we grow up. Well, it's kind of the same thing I want to find today in Sabbath. I want to understand that the word gives us structure and an understanding of why God gave us Sabbath. But if it's just, we just follow the legalistic structure and we don't find the spirit, then it becomes just all legalism and rules. But if we just, in our spirit, kind of go, oh, it's not really that big of a deal, we're missing out on what God clearly says is an important piece to the economy of his kingdom. So we need both today. All right, so here we go. Three things Sabbath is, three things Sabbath isn't, and three things Sabbath is for. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 2. Grab your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 1, there's this beautiful Hebrew poem that explains God creating everything in creation. He does it in six days. Chapter two, verse one. Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, by, and by the way, footnote here, six is the number of man, scripture says. In Revelation, it says six is man's number. That's why the Antichrist is six, six, six. Six is the number of man. So man was created as part of creation in six days. Seven is the number of completion. And on the seventh day, it says, he rested from the work, from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And if you're taking notes this morning, circle that holy. We're gonna come back to that. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So may I submit to you that six days is the number of man, work, 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 because that's what we would like to do as human beings, just going, 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 working, 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 making more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. But we cannot be complete 
in being who God created us to be without the rest on the seventh day. We want to be complete in who God made us to be. So we need to understand this Sabbath. And then if you turn back to Exodus, now keep in mind that that was creation. We really don't hear about Sabbath again until Moses and the, the Israelites who were freed from slavery in Egypt are in now the wilderness and they're at Mount Sinai and God is going to basically say, look, I have freed you out of slavery and I am going to teach you how to live. They are like, in human terms of civilization, this is like the toddler stage of humanity. These people have been slaves for 400 years. They don't know anything but being slaves. And God says, I am going to teach you how to live with me and in community with one another. And so he gives 10 commandments. And in, if you take a look at it here, verse eight, remember of Exodus 20, Remember Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. On it, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son, your daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, your animals, nor your guest, the alien, the sojourner who is living with you within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Here we go, number one. Three things Sabbath isn't. Sabbath isn't a legalistic ruler or a spiritual litmus test. And that's what it becomes when you look at Sabbath legally. That's what Jesus, in fact, that was the most common criticism that the religious leaders had of Jesus was that he broke the Sabbath according to their litmus test, according to their rules. He was breaking the Sabbath. They watched for him to break the Sabbath. They're waiting for him to break the Sabbath so they could condemn him how does that, does that sound like rest to you? Doesn't sound like rest to me. I even, even in moving, moving to Pella in 2004, I had people tell me, just make sure you don't mow your lawn on Sunday. You get in trouble. And I don't, I, I don't feel that kind of legalism in Pella, but that's very real for some of the people that in this room that grew up. I, I have known Individuals have told me that they got the anonymous letter in the mail condemning them for doing that work on Sunday. Yeah, but it was never meant to be some kind of spiritual litmus test. And it's more personal now than ever. I mean, the reality is, is that in the, the time of the Exodus, the entire nation had a very common existence. They were all part of a nomadic agrarian society. And so the six days on and then the rest and God gave them manna to eat and it was all, it was all part of the system that God was putting together. But the reality is, is that 
we, most of us, don't live a nomadic agrarian life anymore. And life is more complicated than ever. And I get it, for some people, the seven day, with the, the last day being Sunday and being the day of Sabbath, works really, really well. And for families who are trying to raise children to understand the principle of Sabbath, that works really, really well. But I also have talked to so many people over my years and pe people I've known in my experience that are like, you know what? That Monday through Saturday and then Sunday is Sabbath doesn't work. And you know who it doesn't work for? Pastors. The people who are leading us spiritually, that doesn't work. Pastors have to take a, a different Sabbath day. And there are other people that have had to figure out this this Monday through Saturday and then take Sunday off doesn't work in my reality. And so here's what I want to encourage us all to do today. Don't worry about anybody else. I want you to think about yourself and the people you live with, if you live with others. And I want you to explore your conscience between you and God, and let other people explore their conscience between them and God. Because we don't want it to be a spiritual litmus test or some kind of legalistic thing where one size fits all. Second, Sabbath wasn't meant to be an exchange of vocational work for religious burden, and that's what it had become. The Jewish leaders in Jesus' day had created a rule book, hundreds of rules about what the Sabbath you could do and you couldn't do. For example, you could pick up a stick. That was okay. It's not work. But if you start walking with it, uh-oh, you're working. You're carrying the stick. They had rule after rule after rule after rule. This is what it is, you can't do this, you can't do that. Which is why Jesus was always criticized. And it's that, it was out of that that Jesus says, look, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. If somebody's got a donkey, falls into a pit, and you need that donkey for your life, to, so you can do your job, if that donkey dies, you're in a big trouble. No, you're gonna get the donkey out. Why do we just put this religious burden on it? Some of my parishioners back in Linville were telling me their horror stories about Sabbath. One of them was like, yeah, we could throw the football back and forth, but if we started to play an actual game, that was work, and we couldn't do that. I mean, come on. That's more work than anything. It's trying to figure out what I can do and what I can't do. That's not what God intended. Third, Sabbath isn't just an Old Testament thing. Because that's the way kind of the Methodist church where I was raised took it. Like it's not really important anymore because now we live in a different time. But notice that, that Sabbath wasn't just part of the Ten Commandments. It wasn't about the law. The law came out of creation. See, it's woven into creation. 
It's not just an Old Testament thing. It is a kingdom of God thing. And that's where we have to understand it if we are going to follow God and be complete in who he's making us to be. Three things that Sabbath is. That's number one. Sabbath is woven into creation. It's a gift of freedom. God called it holy, and Kevin told us that, that, that reminded us a week ago, that's the first place in Scripture something is called holy, and it's the rest that God took. The Hebrew word there is chorosh. We often think of holiness as some, like moral purity, but I've done some study on holiness, and I find that it's so much more than that. There is a mystery uh, in holiness. It's like when something, we understand in a moment that something is greater than ourselves. That there's something bigger than ourselves that fills us with a sense of otherness and the importance of it. For example, how many of you have been in the room, the delivery room, when another human being is suddenly in the room? Yeah. It's a holy moment. What about a wedding? When those, those doors open up and the congregation stands up and the music swells and everybody turns to see the bride with her hot father, you know? That's not a meh moment. <laughs> that's a go, oh, get out the tissues. It's a holy moment. Something important is happening. Have you ever been in the room? and heard a person breathe their last breath. It's a holy moment. It's this feeling of otherness. One of my favorite holy moments is that moment when you've had a great meal. Wendy and I love meals. And we have a dining room at home, and we love having family or friends around the dining room table. We love to make uh, a, an event out of a meal. We've actually had experiences where we've started a meal at like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the evening, and at 1 a.m., everyone's still sitting at the table, laughing, sharing life, sharing stories, sharing one another's, and then, you know, just keep bringing out Wendy's cheesecake, right? Just bring it on. And it's that moment when I push away from the table and there's a verse in Deuteronomy 8.10 says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, thank the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. <sighs> that's a holy moment. And that's what Sabbath was intended to be. That special moment where regularly there's a sense of there's something bigger than me. There is a moment that God has woven into this that, that I want to recognize. That, that God wove this into creation and it's part of the freedom that he gives us. In Exodus, remember, they've just been slaves for 400 years. They worked 24-7, 365 in shifts. They had to do more and more and more with less and less and less. They were beaten. They were derided. They were criticized. They were beaten down. They could never stop the work. So now they're in the wilderness and God's saying, here's what I'm going to, I want you to show you how to live. And part of the first lesson is 
you get a day off. Do you think if you'd been one of those Hebrew slaves, you had never known a day off? How weird that must have been? What am I supposed to do? Eat with your family. Spend time with God. Second thing, Sabbath is for us to both receive and to give. Notice that in Exodus, God kind of expands on Sabbath and he says, it's not just for you, but it's for the people that work for you. It's for the people that live with you. It's for the guests that are staying in your home. It is for your animals. And in fact, God goes on in Exodus to describe that it's also for the land. You, can, that you were to farm for six years and then seven, the seventh year, you just let the land do its thing. And you don't harvest it, you don't plant it, you, don't, you just let it rest. He had a seven-year cycle in which every seventh year was a year of jubilee when debts were canceled and you celebrated for an entire year. So this idea of Sabbath, it's not just a Sunday thing, it's a life thing in God's economy. And it comes for us, but it also is for us to give. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about how do I give rest to somebody else? Wendy gave me rest when I came to her and said, hey, Wendy, I think I want to take a week and go on a road trip. She could have said, what? Leave me? Spend that money? No. No, she was like, no, go, please, just leave Seven days in a clean house without him messing it up. Rest for her. She gave me Sabbath. How do we give others Sabbath? Third thing, Sabbath is filling the well with life. We are finite beings on this earth. We only have so much life and energy in us. And as we go about our daily routine, our daily work, doing our thing, life drains out of us. And so Sabbath is about filling the well. That's why I came home from that week. It was a Sabbath week. I filled my well with life, with love, with people, with conversations. It was awesome, with silence. I filled the well for a whole whole week, and I'm still jazzed about it. I'm still living off the excess of that week. So what about you, filling the well? What fills your well? Julia Cameron, in her book, The Artist's Way, it's one of my favorite books, she says, in filling the well, think delight, think fun, do not think duty. Do not do what you should do, like a spiritual sit-up, reading a dull but recommended critical text. Do what intrigues you. Explore what interests you. Think mystery, not mastery. Like Jesus, the story of Jesus walking through the wheat field with his disciples. And they got there, I could there a wheat field. Can you think of the stalks of grain, the heads of grain? What would you do if you were walking through the wheat field? You'd have your arms out, you're feeling the grain against your fingers, the flow of it. 
Yeah. Feels like life, doesn't it? And just, you know, like going, and so they kind of squeeze the grain and they get some of the heads of the grain off and they pick it, eat at it. And then the Pharisees, you worked on the Sabbath. It's like telling a little kid that he shouldn't pick a spent dandelion and blow the fuzz to see it go through the air. It's meant to fill us with life. How do we fill our well? What fills it? How can I make sure that Wendy gets her well filled? How do I give Sabbath to her? Sometimes we have to find that out for ourselves, within, even within a family system. Parents with young kids that are soccer games and baseball games seven days a week and on the run and on the going and blah, 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 blah. And sometimes we just have to figure out between ourselves and God and in our system, how do we make Sabbath? How do we find Sabbath? And it might, for a period of time, mean giving Sabbath in turns. It might look that way. Next, Sabbath is for stopping that which drains the life out of us. You know what I love driving in the quiet? Got so much noise, man. So much noise. Podcasts, Spotify, streaming music, cable, televisions on, screens on, earbuds in. Remember that when God met Elijah on Mount Horeb, he wasn't in the noise, wasn't in the earthquake, wasn't in the tornado. He was in the whisper. And sometimes if we don't have quiet, we don't hear the voice of God. Sabbath is for enjoying that which fills us with life. Every week, Wendy and I have a date. Oh, man, I look forward to that date. It happens right after church. We sit, we talk about the message, we talk about church, we reconnect, we talk about the week ahead, we talk about family, we talk about what's on our hearts. I look forward to that. I had friends who, I walked into their dining room and they had one of these old chandelier, big chandeliers, brass, with all these arms on it, and there's all these streamers hanging from the chandelier. I'm like going, what's going on? They have children, eight and 10, and they decided with their children, they want their children to understand the joy of Sabbath, of rest. So on Saturday night, they always have a Sabbath meal, and every, taking turns, everybody gets to choose what they want for dinner every Saturday night, and then they, they talk about what's gonna happen in church tomorrow, they get kind of excited about it, and then they take party poppers, and they pull a string on the party poppers, and the streamers straight out, and they, some of them land on the chandelier, and some of them fall to the table, but they just leave them there. So all week long, their children, are going, oh yeah, I gotta go to school today, but Saturday night's coming. Trying to teach them Sabbath. Fill the well with life. Can I have the core value slide real quick? Again. I want you to notice the four values, and I want you to understand that we cannot do any of these core values without understanding and experiencing Sabbath. 
So let's take a look. Identity. We know who and whose we are. We are the Lord of the Sabbaths. And if we do not understand and begin to implement Sabbath in our lives, we're missing out on who God made us to be and we'll never be who God made us to be without Sabbath, okay? Next, belonging, created for deep connection with others. You, Sabbath is about relationship with God and it's about relationship with others. We have time now to be with God and with others. In fact, in the 10 commandments, there's three. God says, here's three things that you need to know about relationship with me. No other lovers but me. Keep my name holy. Don't have any other idols. And here's all these, here's how you do community together. You don't defraud, you don't commit adultery, you don't lie, you don't steal, you don't covet. And in between the two, what's the glue that holds it together? Sabbath. Because on the Sabbath, when you carve out Sabbath, you have time for a relationship with me and you have time for a relationship with your, your community, your family, your peeps. So belonging needs Sabbath. Purpose, sent with significance for kingdom impact. If we are so depleted of energy in life, we will never, never achieve the mission to which we are called, for which we have purpose. Intimacy, created for deep connection with God. You can't be intimate with God or anyone if you don't have time together. That's what Sabbath is for. I'm gonna ask the, uh, the team to come on up. We're gonna do a real quick neighborhood time as the worship team gets ready to lead us in worship again. Here are the questions. What are the things that daily drain life out of you, or weekly, or monthly? What are the things that drain life from you? What are the things that personally fill your well with life? And it could be different for you, so that's why we're talking about it. It's different for different people. And how might that differ for you from day to day? We're just gonna take a few minutes in our neighborhoods to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, just pretend to pray or read something or look at your phone. All right, go.
and have my microphone on. I hope that this is a good conversation and I hope it continues with you and, and your peeps, whoever they might be as you go on in this day because it's important for us to understand that sense of rest. A couple of ways of resting in Sabbath is one, is being prayed for. And as we worship here at the end, we're gonna have prayer team members that are gonna be here at the front. And if you need prayer, sometimes that, that, nothing more life-giving than somebody laying their hands on you and just praying over you. In fact, our prayer team calls it soaking prayer. Doesn't, wouldn't you like to be soaked with some life today? So if you would like some prayer, prayer team members will be here as we worship. We also have communion. Elders will be here with the, uh, the bread and cup. Again, Jesus said do this as often as you get together. Remember me. It's a way that we commune with Christ and remember that. So if you would like a tangible experience of communing with Christ and asking him to fill, flood your life with some, his own life, then uh, come as you are led and receive communion from the elders. Let's stand as we worship together.